Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. Well, it's great to be back with you this week, as always. Uh, I'm always happy to be here and chat with you. How are you? How are things? I hope you're doing okay. I'm doing okay. Life is a bit of a roller coaster. And I think, you know, if we accept that, and we, I, I like a roller coaster myself, although it, it can make you dizzy and make your stomach drop and make you feel like you're going to throw up. But in the end, it's exciting. It's fun. There are ups and downs and twists and turns. And sometimes it flings you upside down. But that is life. So I do want to give you a bit of information about a couple of upcoming shows. Um, next week, we're going to be live with Bob Gardner. And he is the founder of the Freedom Specialist. What better fit? Uh than the freedom specialist for freedom for humans. And he has a unique approach to freeing us from things like trauma, anxiety, depression, addiction, some of the things that we either believe or are told or are conditioned to believe are with us forever, uh, which is kind of the theme of today's show, uh, forever. And what that even is, is what I am thinking about right now. So I'm excited to talk to Bob Gardner and learn more about his approach to freeing oneself. He's worked with people who've been able to drop things like trauma and depression and anxiety and addiction after nothing else has worked. And he has a very physical um, body-based approach to it. So a bit different than um, sometimes the cognitive behavioral things um, that we talk about and that are widely, you know, written about and offered um, to those of us that have those uh, types of conditions in our lives. And the week after we have Florence Ann Romano, who writes about whether or not we are in a friendship recession uh, if you're a if you're a regular listener, you might remember that I did a show a while back called Wanna Be Friends. And it really was about how to make friends as adults, um, particularly later in life, and how to navigate our friendships. And I, you know, we're gonna talk to Florence Ann about what has happened to us as a result of not just the pandemic, which created um, a substantial amount of isolation and and differences in our lives that have hung in there, um, but also the digital world that we live in and the amount of connection that takes place online that has possibly supplanted or might be a surrogate for you know real life connection that we need and how to build a village. So that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. I think those are going to be really uh, fun shows, and I'm excited to interview both Bob and Florence Ann. 
So just a reminder about how you can reach me. You can find me at giraffetangooctopus.com. I have a lot of information on the website. There's some blogs and some information about me and my background, as well as information about coaching packages and on sessions and pricing, etc. You can find me across social media uh, at GTO Coaching and also on Facebook, just under my first and last name and on TikTok at Coach Kirsten, where, um, you know, I'm primarily covering a theme on TikTok that is about, um, you know, you're allowed not to care. <laughs> Basically, you're allowed not to care about things that aren't for you, uh, that we're taught that we kind of have to care about and that we're sometimes plagued with worrying about and caring about. And it's actually a choice. Uh, we can change that conditioning. So, you know, I post some fun little videos on there about things that I don't have to care about and that you don't have to care about if you don't want to. Um, okay. And then just, a just a mention about your sleep. How are you sleeping? I'm doing okay. Uh, as I've been reporting, I'm pretty consistent. I have a, I have what I would call kind of a rough night now and then where mm, maybe my sleep is pretty disrupted or I don't, I don't get an, um, the amount of core sleep that allows me to feel, you know, productive and clear during my day. But for the most part, I get a good six hours, sometimes more. I feel fine. I'm not worried about sleep. I have some techniques that I use for my my nighttime wake-ups, which usually is a couple of times. I don't get upset about them. It's okay. It's fine. It's normal. Um, and I got there by using Stellar Sleep. And so if you're interested in that, there is a free trial um, that you get when you when you use that app. And if you decide to purchase it, uh, go to the app using um, stellarsleep.com slash GTO, and that will give you a 30% discount on that app so you can work on your sleep. Okay, so the theme for today, you know, really, I've been thinking about this idea of forever. And um, it kind of rankles me a little bit, which, listen, that that's unnecessary, right? It's not for me. And if it's for you, and if it's for other people, that doesn't have to be any of my business. I just think this attachment to forever, and this concept of forever, um, it can be kind of uh, stifling to me. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, one of the one of the places I see it pop up pretty often is when people are looking for partners. And I do sometimes watch some reality TV. Um, I watch it for entertainment. Yes. I watch it for theater uh, because I don't really, I don't really get involved in it, I guess I would say, but I do watch it um, as an observer. And I'm also interested in what people are going through and what they're thinking and how they're connecting with other people. And so to that end, I got drawn in or I allowed myself to get drawn into Love is Blind, um, which, I, psh, listen, I found it pretty interesting. And I had a lot of compassion and empathy for people who are looking for a partner. You know, they're they're younger and they're looking for partners and they want to have families and they're finding it difficult, which is not unusual. And then I also read a little blurb. I'm in Malta. So 
I don't have access to this here, uh, but I do enjoy watching it with my mom, uh, which I will freely admit because there are no guilty pleasures, only pleasures. I do enjoy watching versions of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise with my mom. And we yell stuff at the TV. No, no. Oh, he's terrible. She's terrible. Get away from her. We we do all of that. and We have a great time. Um, so they have the Golden Bachelor right now. And I read a little blurb about it, which I found interesting on in a couple of ways. But this theme popped up again, this looking for someone to spend the rest of my life with. And I I see that and hear that a lot. And I absolutely believe that myself, that that's what I should do, that that's what I was supposed to do, that somehow if you find somebody and you get married or you get into partnership and that marriage or that partnership runs its course and needs to end, that maybe it's some kind of failure. I mean, I hear people talk about failed marriages and failed relationships. And to me, I can only imagine that that's attached to an expectation that it's not supposed to end. And so, you know, I I had a 17-year marriage. Um, In total, we were together 17 years. I think we were married for probably around 14 of those years. And of course, there were a, a number of things going on that kept me there longer than it was healthy for me to be there, longer than the love actually existed in that relationship. One of them was this idea that I got married and I put all of this effort into building a life that looked a certain way and it it checked a lot of boxes. You know, I had a big house that when we could afford it, we bought a big house and I thought we were going to have a family. And so I bought a house that would accommodate children and we had a bunch of dogs and, you know, a yard and I filled up the house with all the stuff and, you know, just all the things. And there was, there was debt and there was, you know, money challenges and it was a volatile relationship. And I was deep in an eating disorder um, throughout the marriage. So I was in, you know, quite a bit of pain and, and suffered quite a lot during those years. And yet I, I stayed there. I stayed there. And so the attachment of forever or the rest of your life or supposed to, or the idea that something ending is a failure, I just, I don't believe that anymore at all. And I also, you know, as I'm reflecting on this, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. You know, I, I entered a partnership um, very quickly after that marriage ended And I stayed in that partnership for 14 years. And, you know, there was part of the time I I was happy for much of it. Um, And then, you know, some stuff happened and I became unhappy and I, I lived in kind of a state of trauma and I held on to this idea that I was building a future, but I'm building a future with this person, but I see my future with this person, but I want to grow old with this person. And what ended up happening was something similar, which is that, you know, I was thinking about this future that I wanted so badly, and it can pull you away from the now. Like, what is the reality of the now? 
which is where life is happening. Life is happening right now in the now. And so in the same way that I stayed longer in a situation that wasn't for me when I was married, I stayed uh, several years longer in a situation that wasn't for me in that partnership because I just, you know, I didn't want to let go of the future that I imagined, but it really was a future that was imagined because the future has not happened yet. It's something that we that we want, perhaps, and that we envision and maybe that we dream of. For me, I have to be I have to be careful not to let that yank me out of the reality of the present, um, which again is where real life is happening. And so here I am in Malta. And if you're a longer time listener, you will know that I uh, had a relationship. Uh, when I was here in Malta with Erdogan, a Turkish gentleman that I met uh, over maybe over a year and a half ago, we're probably about 20 months that we've known each other. And um, I left that relationship. It uh, it became quite difficult and it ended up just not being for me. I, I had to leave it in order to care for myself. Um, he was going through some things that uh, changed the relationship and just made it somewhere that um, wasn't supportive. Um, and I had, I had become unhappy along with his unhappiness. I had then become unhappy in the relationship and I had tried a few things, a few interventions, um, to see if we might shift things around. And, um, I gave it some time and that didn't happen. And so I moved out, you know, I, I packed up all my things and I found a place to store them. I moved out of the shared apartment that we had, um, and I left, I left the relationship and I left him and I did not plan to return to it. I did have hopes that I could still have him in my life because my feelings, you know, for him, the love that I, that I have the, you know, I like him. I love him. I have fun with him. I find him interesting. There was, you know, there were reasons why I jumped in with both feet with him um, and so I had hoped that he would remain in my life, but I, I, I didn't plan to get back into a relationship with him. When I returned to Malta um, this last time, I am on a different island, um, the smaller island of Gozo. So there is some distance between where I live and where he lives. Um, and I did begin to see him initially as friends that didn't last long. Um, there's too much between us um, in terms of the love and the passion and the intimacy and the attraction and, you know, much that is undiscovered really between us. Um, and so I am, you know, seeing him again in a different way. I have my own space. Um, I have my own life ultimately, and I'm sharing my life with him but I'm not enmeshed. And when I say enmeshed, um, certainly I have some, you know, emotional enmeshment to some degree. Uh, it's different though than it was. Um, but my finances are not enmeshed. My living situation is not enmeshed. And so I feel a sense of freedom, um, which is for me, the thing that is most important. It is the thing that I, I have longed for in some way since I was a child in all my, in all my old soul existentialism, 
I never wanted to be controlled or told what to do or have to do things I didn't want to do or that weren't right for me. I always longed for a sense of independence and agency and freedom. Um, And I love to be in an intimate partnership. So those two things, uh, sometimes finding a partner who you can be with and you can retain your independence and freedom, particularly given all that I've learned about myself and the codependency that I have worked on um, to, mm, I would say it's not gone. Uh, It's not gone, but it's not active. Uh, I would say, I would say it's, uh, it's, I've practiced it uh, mostly into dormancy and when it pops up, I see it kind of like when self-hate pops up, I see it and then I address it and come back to myself. So, you know, as we are continuing to just discover things about each other and spend time together, um, you know, our love is, is strong and, it is deep and all of those things are happening. And he has begun to talk about forever and wanting to be together forever and wanting to grow old together and die together. And I don't believe in that anymore for myself. Um, It doesn't feel right to me to talk about something that I don't believe is the goal I don't really believe that it exists per se. I don't think you can make it happen, I guess, is how I would put it. It may happen. And hopefully if it does, it's because you're choosing it every day. And overall, you're getting what you need and the other person is getting what they need and you're happy and you have what you need in your intimate partnership. I hear so many people talk about being in marriages and intimate partnerships and they don't have what they need and they're not happy. And they say things like, well, I just can't bear to have to start over. Well, you're not starting over. You're not starting over. You're moving on. But it's this idea, right, that you're building the forever and that if you end it or you change it to move on to something else, that you failed. And now you have to start over, starting over being an indication that you now have to try to find the forever again. Oh my God. I just want nothing to do with that. I mean, just, yeah, I don't, it doesn't resonate for me. I feel, I feel comfortable planning the next three to six months. And even with that, I have a general idea depending on what happens in life, which is unpredictable. I have a general idea where I'll be and a general idea of what I might be doing, but that's about it. That's about it. Um, And so, you know, I'm not able to say those things back to him because they're not true for me. It doesn't mean that I don't love him and that I'm not thoroughly enjoying the time that we're spending together and that I very likely will will want to continue to choose it. And so, you know, I've been very truthful about that. And I have to weather 
you know, not saying the thing that the other person wants me to say and whether, you know, the, the kind of hurt uh, that I see is the impact of that and still return to myself and the truth of myself and ultimately return to the present, the present, the now. And that is really where life is. Life is now. So when I hear people talking about, well, I want to find the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with, I just want to say, oh, wow. What if, what if, like I said prior to meeting Erdogan, I said, you know, I think I have at least one to three great loves left in my in my life, however long my life is. And I've already had a handful of them. They were all different. They were all challenging. They were all awesome. They were all exciting. They're all, for me, the stuff of life. And this time around is, is honestly, it's it's kind of one of the most amazing experiences that I've had thus far because I am completely honest, completely open, completely vulnerable. I just don't care about all the little things that I used to care about. I don't care about pretending to be a certain something, saying saying what I'm meant to say, saying what somebody else wants me to say. I don't care what anybody thinks, you know, that I broke up and now I'm back in in this relationship with this man. There's probably some judgment about that. I don't care. Who cares? You don't have to care. You do not have to care what anyone else thinks. All you have to do is care about yourself. Care about yourself. Accept yourself unconditionally. Be compassionate with yourself when things come up that are painful and difficult and be aware if there is a critical judgment judgmental unhelpful voice that you hear that is not you it sounds like you and you might be quite familiar with it because it's a conditioned voice that we all have but it's not actually you it is the inner critic self-doubt fear all the foot soldiers of self-hate that are conditioned voices that crap talk us and work us over and make us feel bad about ourselves. They are not useful, not helpful, and they can be reconditioned into silence. And when they pop up, we can see them come toward ourselves, care for ourselves, reach for our tools, it does take tools. It takes tools and practice. I talked to Jamie Lerner about that last week on the art of allowing. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, it's really, it's it's one of the conversations that I've had lately that has really stuck with me. Um, I keep thinking about much of what we talked about, and also, you know, I I saw her. You know, this is radio and podcasting, of course, so. This is a, a this is an audio audible medium, 
but I watched her and looked at her and she was one of the most peaceful, calm, centered, unaffected people I've interacted with. And seeing the result of a lifetime of practice um, that is similar to what I've been doing for the last three years, seeing where that can take a person was so inspiring to me. And at the heart of it is paying attention to yourself, caring for yourself, accepting and allowing yourself and letting everybody else off the hook and allowing them to be what they are and knowing that it doesn't have anything to do with you. And that means not just on social media, not just maybe some fraught family relationships, but in your close friendships, in your intimate partnerships, you're allowed to be fully you and to not care about those things that aren't about you. So um, to that end, I've written a little something on the forever and the now um, and how that might show up in a person's life, how to kind of parse them out and return to the self and care for the self and focus on the perfection of the now and to allow forever to take care of itself. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host. And this is called The Forever of Now. He finds you in a state of disrepair. You speak first on the phone and cry from a place so deep he is unfamiliar with it. Crying is not new, you do this freely, but this soul crying is novel. He offers to leave right then, 
to take two bolts and a ferry to get to you. You decline out of exhaustion, but are buoyed by the offer. In your purging of despair, you repeat, quote, I'm so tired. I don't really want to do it anymore. The it. At this level of despair, the it to which you refer is life. There are moments, hours, and sometimes days when it all feels too much. And trying seems senseless and without redemption or reward. Your existential awareness leaves you teetering on the edge of this most days. When you plummet into despair, the teeter-totter crashes to the ground as when a mischievous playmate jumps off and sends you down with a thud. The gratitude for all that is good in your life has no home here. Fear has ushered in self-hate, and self-hate has gone to work on you, leaving your body and spirit depleted ailing and cowering in the corner as if you are a victim, your power relinquished to this unseen force. The object of the fear is money. Although the object is material, it is immaterial. It could be anything. When you are not consumed in the process of fear, you can have a supportive and truthful conversation with yourself and bring yourself into the present moment where everything is fine. When you are slow cooking in fear stew, you believe it's unhelpful jabs, insults, and never-gonna-bees. A couple of days later, when he arrives, he finds you in a weakened state and hugs you tightly. He knows this is the first order of business. You both wonder if the embrace will snap your fragile skeleton. He carries a heavy pack of water. He will walk to the market and buy you food. He will hold you, cook for you, comfort you, love you, show concern for you, visit multiple pharmacies for the emodium you need to stop your gut from emptying the life-giving water you need to stand, to eat, to sleep, to live. You show him the most vulnerable of your vulnerabilities without compunction. He speaks your name often with a comical urgency and then emphatically exclaims, I love you. He repeats it sometimes five times. He uses Turkish terms of endearment to address you. Ashkim, my love. Janem, my darling. Birtanem my one and only, Meleim, my angel, Francesim, my princess, and finally, Kirstenim, my Kirsten. He hugs you often and tightly and holds on. Often he breaks first, and to his credit, it could take some time for you to break the embrace. He kisses you gently, firmly, forcefully, passionately, playfully, looking into your eyes, his hands holding your face, in a deep embrace, hello and goodbye, good morning and good night, and just because he knows. He slow dances with you in the kitchen, holding you close, 
fitting snugly within your interior as you wrap your lanky body around his. Lean into him and let your face fall into his neck. You sway in unison without effort. You rest upon him, eyes closed, breathing him in. He smushes and squozes you. Laying his body atop yours for the smush, wrapping his arms underneath and around for the squoze, to create a swaddle inspired by the Temple Grandin hug machine. When you see him coming in for the smush and squoze with a smile and a twinkle in his eye, you gamely get into position to receive this, your favorite intimate act that can only be entrusted to someone you trust. He is acclimated to the subtle difference between too much and too little. Not his full weight restricting your breath, but almost. Being without this during time apart makes your cells wither with starvation. He comes in late from work, trying to be quiet so as not to startle you awake in your tiny apartment, the door a mere arm's length from where your sleeping feet lie. In the morning, he proudly informs you that you slept and that he did not touch you. He did not, quote, wake up you from your sensitive, tenuous slumber. He also then chides that you did not hug him, even when you did, because in the area of hugging, less is not more. And this is his sense of humor, to accuse you of not doing things that you gamely do, of not doing enough, because for him, maybe enough does not exist. You awake at least twice each night, and on the days he is next to you, you find his warm, comforting body with its buttery skin and intoxicating smell and press your body up against him. You bring yourself into the present and remind yourself that this is the stuff of life. For you, this is it. Don't miss it by kicking around in your thoughts, wishing you were asleep or whatever other misgivings the conditioned mind raises about what it would rather. One night you awake at 2 a.m. You did not hear him come in. Where, where is he? What has happened? It's way too late for him not to have returned from work. Your body courses with worry and adrenaline. And then you check the other side of the bed and his nude body is there, asleep. Thank God. He is okay. Everything is okay now. In the morning before you get your coffee and figs picked by him and brought to you from the market that has the good figs, you wrap yourself around him in the perfect set of nested spoons, your skin, your bodies, your smells, your breath, all a comfort to each other. He grabs your hand and pulls it close as if your body can somehow embed itself into his, like one instead of two. When you are intertwined face to face, he simply says, quote, octopus, one creature, two hearts and eight independent limbs. His culture and keen interest in eliminating unwanted hair from his body compel him to strip his body hair using a variety of methods. 
He sits with a magnifying mirror and tweezes and plucks the offending interlopers who've escaped the razor clippers and dreaded depilatory cream. Occasionally, you are asked to remove an errant hair that he can feel but cannot see. He is incredulous when you explain that American men have natural hairy armpits. That you like it is mystifying. Armpit hair for him is impossible, but he caters to your strong preference that he leave the hair on his chest and stomach. When you run out of days on your visitor visa and leave the country, he removes it. But for you, he tolerates it. You are asked to investigate any new bump or pain to determine its origin and what to do about it. You are a game investigator and solver of bumps. He tends to scratch and pick. You grab his hand and pull it away when you see it. You are a mostly former picker. It takes restraint for him not to scratch and pick at your skin as he runs his hands over your body. When he lingers over an innocuous mole or skin tag, you make a low noise like a disapproving hum and he begrudgingly disengages. He has more of a hurried style than you do, and you use the phrase, quote, hold on, often. He begins to repeat it. Independent of any need to hold on, he just says it to say it. You are slow dancing to a Yola song with the same title, and you point out the double meaning of holding on to wait and holding on to hold on to each other. Yes, he understands. He sleeps longer than you, and when he decides he is finished, he jumps out of bed and states that he will prepare breakfast, unless he has done it the day before, in which case you want to take a turn. You delight in his efforts and his familiarity with what you like and don't and how much is too much for you. You eat on the terrace in the morning breeze. He watches and expresses his satisfaction when you clean your plate, more so out of an interest in your nutrition, health, and energy than in his breakfast-making acumen. He awakens to the day with a soft smile. You gaze upon him and lean in to kiss the smooth skin of his face with its scruffly whiskers. On the rare occasion, he rises with a headache or a complaint. His usual morning sunshine is turned upside down into a cloudy scowl. No, you say. Don't do that with your face. Drink water. Eat food. Go back to sleep. Take these tablets. You often wake up cloudy, and his sunny disposition immediately tips you right side up. So your counsel is selfish in that... You delight in his morning countenance, and you feel pain when he feels it, as you do with those you love. He wears only a pair of shorts in the warmer months, sometimes not even those. You are both comfortable and unselfconscious in your unclothed state. He rips his clothes off and leaves them hanging over the furniture, his pants already undone just a couple steps through the door. A foray into the outside world with too much of your body exposed raises concern for him. 
you laugh and tease him that you will go out this way and that way, and he feigns shock at the risque taunt. He dances, sings, jokes, and tickles you, drawing squeals of delight, never too hard, never too much, just enough to lift your spirits, make you laugh, and fill you with childlike effusion. He is emotional, as are you. His highs are high, as are yours. His lows are low, as are yours. His love is intense, as is yours. He is moody, as are you. He is sensitive, as are you. His dreams are ever-present, as are yours. Both are now amorphous and unfocused after lifetimes of work, work, and more work. The uncertainty of him that unsettles you is the same uncertainty of your own life that leaves you living always in uncertainty, unsettled. His connection to his past, the quote good life, a life much wealthier than this one, sometimes takes him over. You have mostly disconnected from this past. You bring with it all that you've learned and experienced, but there is no reason to long for it. If you want that life again, you can make it, but you don't. You want a different life, a version of this life you are living. But why a version? Your conditioned mind tells you there is a missing piece. There will always be a missing piece. As long as you believe the puzzle is incomplete, you will always tell yourself that if only this last piece were snapped into place, then everything would be great, complete. This is a lie, the big lie, the lie that robs the joy. So you bring yourself back into the present where there is enough. You are enough. He is enough. Why is this so difficult? This acknowledgement that the present moment, as it is, is enough. It cannot be any different than it is. Wishing it different steals life. He speaks of forever, of being old together, dying together, of nothing else mattering other than the togetherness of the two of you. You used to believe in this, but you no longer do. You cannot bear to plan forever to arrange for the future beyond the next few months. It tethers you. It creates tension in decisions that don't align with the made-up plan. You must do as Joseph Campbell directs and let go of the life you planned so that you can accept the life that is waiting for you. You used to be fixated on the glorious future where everything would be as you wanted it to be, and then you toiled away in the present, serving the later, suffer now for the good of the future. He senses you cannot commit to this vapor that is the future and begins to pull back. He states as much. You are honest. You tell him you can give him your whole love right now. That is what you have to offer. It may not be enough, and you are willing to weather the repercussions of not saying the right thing, the thing he wants you to say, 
the words that convey a quote, no matter what commitment. You cannot say them because you won't. You won't because they are not true. The only no matter what in which you are interested is unconditional self-acceptance, self-direction, and honesty. The old no matter what commitments kept you in places where you no longer belonged. And staying where you don't belong is excruciating. It causes you to suffer, to work harder to solve the unsolvable, to reach for anesthesia, to deny yourself, to allow self-hate to murder you with a thousand invisible slices. You are open to the wonder available in seemingly small things to which you are present. You come upon a grotto in the center of your village of Shara. For three euros, you are given a tour by the great-grandson of its excavator. Looking for water, he discovered the cavern with its stalactites and stalagmites, and the well he was looking for which still flows. A group of stalactites with water still dripping down has formed over millions of years. You are awed by it. You choose to be awed by it by thinking about all the years that have come before and the circumstances that bring you to stand upon this spot on this day with these humans under the ground amongst the mysteries of planet Earth. After the quick tour, he compares it to his home country's much larger and more magnificent grottos. This is an essential difference. You do not view it as a problem to solve. You respond that you enjoyed it and that there is no need to chip away at your enjoyment by negating the experience. He affably states, quote, Okay, and moves on. You are caring for yourself, your experience, joy, awe, and present. You do not judge him for his tendencies. You are familiar with them from a lifetime of comparison. This is better. That is worse. This is good. That is not as good. This is valuable. That is not valuable. This dangerous evaluation splashes out onto other humans and creates suffering in the splasher and the splashed. It is possible to get splashed and to avoid the suffering. Accepting and allowing others to be what they are and holding fast to a core truth that their splish splashing has nothing to do with you. You are over here, the water beating up and rolling off you, evaporating into the nothing that it is. A darkness enveloped this wonderful, unique, and extraordinary human. You've seen its face. You know what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like. You know it comes at the behest of impulsive choices, circumstances beyond control, and victimhood. You see the same forces at play now. An indecisiveness followed by impulse out of the frying pan, into the pot of boiling water, into the fire, and then back to the frying pan, where the familiar heat slowly cooks him. The heat of living a rather unforgiving life in a foreign land, the riches of the old life lost and squandered, shock and awe 
at the life currently lived and its complete lack of familiarity with the one before. Your lived experience is similar, but you view yourself as the conductor versus an involuntary womp-womper of the awkward, heavy tuba that encircles in its boa-like constriction. When you first met, you loved him quickly. You connected as two people who have known each other before. You jumped into the forever with both feet. You still believed. The darkness came, and it stayed. It stayed long enough that you could not stay. You left the apartment, the relationship, the future. You left him. The love stayed. The like stayed. The missing him stayed. The friendship stayed. The attraction stayed. The passion stayed. The longing stayed. It all sounds very compelling, but it is not enough. Your needs must be understood and met more of the time than they aren't. Otherwise, what are you doing here? Needs previously were either disallowed or hidden by self-hate. How dare you have needs? The risk of expressing your needs only to have them hang in the air like an inconvenient fart felt debilitating. The perfectionist desire to need nothing, to be self-contained, an island unto yourself, seemed a fitting antidote, yet it was not. It was salt in the wound. It was lonely and exhausting. Visitors to the island thought it looked great, like a veritable paradise. But after they left, it was just you and some version of Wilson. Sitting here on the tiny island of Gozo, with your needs on full display, you are no longer interested in that lonely old atoll with inanimate, or anthropomorphized representations of connection, of love. Unlike your former way of being, you love yourself more than anyone else. In your former life, self-hate hated you more than it hated anyone else. It spilled out onto others in the form of judgment and criticism, indirectly conveyed by your impossible standards for yourself. You were quietly mystified that others seemed to ignore these crucial thresholds of good enough. You vented in closed company to those with whom self-hate was a familiar fixture. This tendency to preach to the choir and convert the converted made your murderous tendencies seem pedestrian. You were an assassin of character, lifestyle, and appearance, as if your character, lifestyle, and appearance were all above reproach. In fact, you attempted to make them bulletproof so that no one would do to you what you were doing to yourself and by extension others. It was self-hate feeding itself and keeping you imprisoned in its dank cell of self-recrimination and fear. Your life was a chain gang of working harder to serve your image, say the right thing, be the right thing and look like the right thing. Now you have many tools to keep self-hate out of the car, to pass it swiftly, thumb out, 
nefarious agenda stuffed in its backpack. Sometimes when you reach for your tools and they are rusty and the instruments feel blunt, you simply tell self-hate to fuck off until it finally does. Fuck off. Fuck you. Go fuck yourself. What someone else wants is just that. It is what they want. If it is also what you want, you have a bingo. If it is not, you must choose yourself. It is not selfish, or if it is, it is also survival. It is truth. The thing is, it is the thing. It is the only thing. Asking yourself the right questions and answering them truthfully is the only way to navigate this life and steer clear of the preventable suffering that self-denial causes. That, and bringing yourself into the present, always to the present. You use a technique to detach from the annoying cloy of a conditioned voice that tells you to worry, be dissatisfied, care what other people say, do, and think, to extricate you from this limbo and bring you into the present. You are poked at by some unhelpful thought about someone else's behavior, which you have evaluated as yucky. When this happens, you notice he is complaining out loud about something to which he is comparing to something else. You say, quote, We are on a tiny rock in the middle of the Mediterranean, a Turk and an American. We are sitting in Victory Square, eating grilled calamari, al fresco. The sun is out. There is a comfortable breeze. The square is buzzing with people enjoying lunch. There's more traffic because people are not working and are out and about on a Saturday. This is now. This is all that is now. What is forever but a stringing together of the now? You've been listening to Freedom for Humans. I hope you heard something helpful. I love making this show for you. Have a great week. Love yourself. Free yourself. Be yourself. And dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.